Hi there. You're listening to the Cary Church Podcast. We at Cary seek to be flourishing communities of hope, transformed by God's love, following Jesus and serving in God's world. To find out more on how to connect with us, go to cary.asn.au. Amen. Hey, it's great to have Dave with us this morning. Dave's our Director of Ministry and he is continuing our series on Encountering Jesus in the Gospel of John. And I, I know that um, as a preaching team, something we've really been praying into is that throughout this series, people would actually encounter Jesus in a new way, in a fresh way. So again, that's the prayer this morning, that you would have an encounter with Jesus. We've got two readings this morning, and the first reading is from John chapter 12, verses 9 to 17. John 12, 9 to 17, and it says this, Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. The next day, the great crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went, to, went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified, did they realize that these things had been written about him. And that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Our second reading is from John chapter 13 and we're going to be reading verses 1 to 12. John 13, 1 to 12. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, not everyone was clean. Then when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to, this, to his place. Do you understand 
what I have done for you, he asked them. Thanks, Mark. Hey, it's, uh, it's good to be with you. I'm going to do the, I think I'm going to do the stool and a table. Is that all right? Let, let's, have a, let's have a conversation today rather than, okay, Brennan, how are you? I was hanging out with your brother at a wedding last night, so it's, uh, it's good to see them, the much better Salisbury today. Um, prayer and pastor, I love that. I love that, prayer and pastor. That's very good, Mark. But I was thinking if pastor starts, to, I was just, you, you were saying it, it starts with P and because I, th- I think this should be something that goes on for a long time. When you get sick of pastor, you could also do peck and pears. Uh, you could do uh, provolone and pre- pumpkin, purple carrot, pine mushrooms and uh, parsnip and prayer. But I'd, I think I'd get momentum with pastor and prayer because parsnip and prayer is not going to, no, not so good. Hey, um, who's enjoying the rain? That's, that's nice. I'll be sick of it in about a week, but today, um, that's great. Glenn, I just wanted to thank you for leading us in worship. Um, it does my soul good um, to be led and music and just to be able to be drawn into that place. And, and uh, some people have got the, the gift to be able to do that really gently and beautifully and you're doing it's a tough gig doing it by yourself so I appreciate that this morning thank you hey um you might be thinking Dave we've had Easter what are we having the readings sort of John 12 and 13 we're sort of on the other side of that um and I know that we'll get there there's actually there's actually uh, preachers at Harrisdale on Palm Sunday but I actually like it better on the other side of Easter um the two passages, the first one is the triumphal entrance into Jerusalem. So this is uh, from chapter 12 and it's, it's Palm Sunday. That's what we celebrate on Palm Sunday. And to get a bit of a, just a bit of a background to the passage, it's the Passover. So it's the Passover in Jerusalem and Jerusalem gets absolutely jammed, packed at Passover. Thousands and thousands of people from around the region come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem and the Passover is the most significant festival in the Jewish calendar it's where they remember and celebrate God rescuing his people from Egypt somewhere between about 1240 and 1430 years before Jesus was born depending on how you read the historical records but well over a thousand years before you've got the story of God rescuing his people from slavery in Egypt and for over a thousand years this Jewish community has been celebrating this extraordinary event with the Passover meal and the festival and so Jerusalem is crowded with people on for the Passover festival and just before the Passover Jesus has raised Lazarus now Jesus was starting to he was gathering thousands of people to listen to him and just before Passover he raises Lazarus from the dead and so it's spreading like wildfire and people are getting excited and they're you know and and um, so a lot of people a lot of people were talking about the fact that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. But you've also got um, 
It might be important. Do you want to take it? Okay. <laughs> How are you guys? Don't apologise. It was so nice to see you when you walked in. I haven't seen you guys for ages. So, you think that's embarrassing? I, my phone's gone off in the Supreme Court, and that's just that's just this is this is family. That's just mortifying. So, um, and because I'm a really nice guy, I'm just going to hang with you for a while and and uh, yeah, just chat about it. So yeah. <laughs> Ah, it's lovely to be in a safe community, isn't it? <laughs> I've got no idea where I was. How's your dad, by the way? <laughs> That's right, Palm Sunday. So it's, don't laugh at her. That's very rude. <laughs> so it's Palm Sunday. And, and, and not only is the Passover this time where they celebrate and remember God rescuing his people, but the Jews weren't free. They were under Roman rule, so, and they had been promised another Messiah. They had been promised someone who would redeem and restore the throne of David, that would bring them back into freedom and establish the kingdom of God, and they would be God's people, and they'd be back on the top of the totem pole again. And so they were waiting, and had been, they hadn't been free for hundreds and hundreds of years. And at this point in time, they were under the rule of the Roman Empire. And, and whilst they had a degree of freedom... The Romans could be brutal and, and they had the capacity to, to squash them uh, at any point in time as they did about um, 70 years later. And so not only are they celebrating this Passover festival, but they are longing for the promised Messiah. This, this Messiah that was going to rescue God's people again and reestablish it. And so there's, there's, there's thousands and thousands of people in Jerusalem, the, the streets are crammed and they're thinking God has rescued, we're preparing for the Passover meal and in, in the back of their narrative is waiting for this other Messiah and there's this, this commotion about Jesus and Jesus has raised someone from the dead and you can imagine perhaps, perhaps this is the Messiah. But of course the Messiah would, would come and be proclaimed during Passover because that's when God rescued us before and this might be where he's rescuing us again. So you get this sense of growing expectation and the whispers in the crowd Jesus he perhaps he's the messiah perhaps he's the anointed one perhaps he's the new king and and it just is this building sense of excitement and so in uh in the first reading you've got this um the the passage they went out to to where they were having a meal for Lazarus but the next day a great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shout him, Hosanna, which means save us or to save or saviour. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. This was, this was um, insurrection language. The King of Israel, Caesar was the king. The Roman Empire ruled. But here they were saying, blessed is the King of Israel. And, and you, could, you, can, you can imagine the sense of, excitement and anticipation in the crowd that's buzzing and the more people proclaim it the more people get excited this is the messiah this is the time we have waited for for hundreds and hundreds of years and they were proclaiming him as messiah and they were right he was messiah but they could not they the people there could not have comprehended who he really was 
See, the story is in the Gospel of John. And the Gospel of John opens with this extraordinary passage that is speaking of Jesus. And it says, in the beginning, before all things, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, speaking of this Jesus that John will then write about, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that light, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John says this, this, this one who they were proclaiming of Messiah was actually the one who was in the beginning. He was the Christ. The, their brains would have melted if they actually could comprehend the glory of the one who they were proclaiming as king. He was king. But they only saw half of it. But then you've got this, the passage goes on. And so, so you can imagine Jesus is coming in, palm fronds, excitement, king, awesome. And, and uh, you know, if I, was, if I was choreographing this, I'd have been on a massive black horse with, you know, glistening brush. There'd be chariots, there'd be trumpets, there'd be, it would be awesome. And so, blessed is the king of Israel. So Jesus finds a young donkey and sat on it. That's, that's not how I'd write the script. Jesus finds a young donkey and sat on it and says, and as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. That's actually a quote from a passage in Zechariah 9, 9 to 10. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. This is what the people in Jerusalem are doing. They're rejoicing greatly. They are excited. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. They are. Hosanna, king of Israel. They're getting really excited. Sorry, boys, I didn't mean to scare. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious. This is awesome. But it then goes on to say lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim, it goes to say, and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations and his rule will extend from sea to sea. See, the people were chanting, Hosanna, the King of Israel. They were wanting a Messiah. But they were wanting a Messiah that was going to overthrow the Roman Empire. They wanted the Gentile dogs, as they thought of them, to be put back in their place. They wanted these Roman oppressors put down, back in their place, told who's boss, and they wanted to be at the top of the pecking order. They wanted deliverance. They wanted freedom. They wanted liberation. They wanted victory. They wanted the oppressor to be oppressed and crushed. That is what they were chanting for. This was their opportunity. But we get a, a sense from the scripture that that is not the Messiah that they were getting. This Messiah came gentle and lowly and riding on a donkey. The next passage is from Luke chapter, uh, John chapter 12. 
and the procession into Jerusalem has occurred and, and now they're, they're actually gathered for the Passover meal. And the Passover meal, they ate it in a particular way and it was a low table and they'd actually, they'd actually lie down. They wouldn't have chairs, they'd actually lie down and they'd, they'd lean on one elbow and they'd eat with the other arm and they'd have their bodies stretched out, the sort of feet out from the table. And, and just the disciples, they'd have done this meal on previous occasions with Jesus. But this year it was the Passover meal and it says in verse 2 that the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Jesus, Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew that he was the one that was in the beginning. Jesus knew that God had given him everything and put everything under his power and with that knowledge he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples feet drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him now 2,000 years ago the streets of Jerusalem would have been dusty and dirty you would have been walking around in sandals you get to someone's house and your feet would have been just dirty have you ever sat down for an for a important meal with really dirty feet? Just feel what it would be like if you had mud and dirt and dust on your feet and you're lying down around the table. It's not going to feel great. And they, they actually had, in those days, they would have people, often particularly for significant meals, that would wash your feet. Because you would come in, you'd take off your sandals, and, and you'd have, your feet would be dirty. But the washing of the feet was like the most menial task that you could do it was it was it was degrading and usually it would be a slave or someone that do it and often not a jewish slave a gentile slave but it was it was it was seen as as the lowest task and humiliating to do and so you've got these disciples sitting around leaning reclining around this significant meal and Jesus gets up knowing that all things have been placed under him by his father. He gets up and he takes off his outer garment and he wraps a towel around his waist. And he gets down on his knees and he starts to wash the feet of his disciples. He takes the feet in his hands and he, he pours water over it and he removes the dust and then he wipes it with the towel. And in verse 6 it says, He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Now, this appalled Peter. And if we think about it, it probably appalled Peter for a number of reasons. Firstly, because he, is, he was the one who said, you are the Christ. He got, he got a concept revealed by God that this was the son of the living God. He, he, I don't think his mind fully could comprehend the enormity of that but he he understood the significance of Jesus and and he's realizing that I have been eating this meal and Jesus is, has been here with his feet dirty it should have been me that should have been doing this this is this is mortifying this is just this this is wrong Jesus should not be washing my feet and he says Lord are you going to wash my feet look this is just and Jesus says, you do not 
realize what I'm doing now, but later you will understand. And Peter says, you will never wash my feet. This is completely inappropriate. This is just wrong. You, you, are, you are the Lord. And the Lord says to Simon Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. And so Peter, being the passionate sort of guy that he was, says, well, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. In verse 12, it goes on and says, when he'd finished washing their feet, he put on the clothes and returned to his place. And he says, do you understand what I have done for you? And unquestionably, they did not. They could not have comprehended that this act of washing the disciples' feet was signifying the fact that Jesus would, be, would have his clothes removed and be crucified to wash the sins of the entire world. Little could they have comprehended the enormity of what was about to be done. But he said, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, because that is what I am. And again, he was teacher and Lord, but he was also the one who was in the beginning. He was the Christ, the eternal one. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This was all before Easter. This is at the Passover meal that was signifying what Jesus was going to do for the whole world. And, and I, wonder, I wonder the incomprehensible state of distress that the disciples would have been in between the crucifixion and the resurrection. I, I wonder if they thought back to this meal and thought, what the heck was Jesus talking about? He was washing our feet. He said we'd understand, but now he's dead. What? But you see, we don't live in the period between resurrection, death and resurrection. We live in the period after resurrection. See, we understand that the act of service of dying on the cross wasn't a defeat. It was a victory. We understand that he who was before all things died and rose again. We understand that life has come, that life conquered death. That is the place in which we live. We understand that the, the act of humbling ourselves and washing the feet transforms things. So what, what do we do with this? We live on the other side of Easter. And the, the challenge for us today is how do we hold on to this picture that has been painted for us? There, I get lots of noise today about the church is under threat. The church is in danger. We've got to stand up for our rights. The church is being attacked. We're under threat. The church is never, ever, ever under threat. In Colossians 1, 5 to 15 to 20, similar passage to 1 John, it says the Son, this is Jesus, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn 
over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created in him and for him. He is before all things and in him, the universal Christ, in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. This one who is before all things and in whom all things hold together, he is the head of the church. The church can't possibly ever be under threat. It's just not possible because he is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end. Everything submits to him. It may look under threat, but it's never under threat never under threat so as we live in this time post Easter and we, we, we hear this noise the church is under threat we've got to defend ourselves we've got to remember that the one who we serve is the one who was before all things and in whom all things hold together we are not under threat ever the church is never under threat the other thing I think it's important for us to remember is the sort of Messiah we are called to serve. See, Jesus came into Jerusalem victorious, but gentle and riding on a donkey. He understood that the violence wasn't the answer to violence, that anger wasn't the solution to anger, that hate wasn't the solution to hate. The only thing that could actually transform the world was a love that was deep and wide and high and powerful enough to absorb all of that and transform it into something that was different. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He absorbed all of the hate and the anger and the violence and the sin and transformed it into new life, new creation. The risk is if we think we're under threat, we're likely to attack, we're likely to get angry, we're likely to seek to defend ourselves. Jesus lived in a time when they were actually oppressed. When Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he actually washed the feet of Judas Iscariot, the one who would betray him. When he was on the cross, he prayed for forgiveness for the people that nailed him to the tree. He calls us to love those that abuse us, to do good to those that hurt us. That is the path that he calls. And we see that because of who he is, things are transformed. The challenge for me, and I think the challenge for a lot of us, is we can get really excited about Jesus. But what I can really want to do is I, 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 want, I, I want him to put things right and I, I want him to, to to make things right and put the world in order and and I would do that out of the brokenness of my own soul I would be like the people in Jerusalem that want that want the bad people overthrown and the good people put back in power and all things restored back into the way that Dave Kilpatrick thinks they should be and that would be a terrible terrible state of affairs see he didn't come to bring my kingdom came to bring his kingdom and his kingdom is a kingdom of love and compassion he's a kingdom where the outsiders are brought in 
the people who were proclaiming Hosanna, here comes the king of Israel, didn't actually want a Messiah that loved the Roman oppressors as much as he loved them. They wanted a Messiah that would overthrow the Roman oppressors and put them back in the box seat. But the Messiah who came loved the whole world. And he calls his people, love your enemies. Because as we are followers of Jesus, we don't actually have enemies. We don't. Every single person we meet, doesn't matter how opposed they are, are desperately loved by the Messiah that came to wash their feet. Desperately loved by them. So they're not actually our enemies. They are someone who is loved by our Father that just hasn't understood yet that they are so loved. So we live on the other side of Easter. And as we proclaim Jesus as King, we can make the mistake of, of thinking that this fragile thing that we perceive as the church is under threat and forget that he is supreme over all things, that his church is never under threat. The only time we're under threat is if we forget who we are. The other mistake we can make is forget that he calls us to wrap a towel around our waist. The inclination in me is to get even or to get angry or to get back or to put people in their place. And that's just my kids. But Jesus came and wrapped a towel around his waist and washed the feet of the one who betrayed him. Because he loved him. And he loved the soldiers incomprehensibly. He loved the soldiers that crucified him. I, I've been... I've been in the church all my life. And Jesus has got me on a maturing journey where I can actually love my enemy. And I've come to understand that if I'm unable to love the person that nails me to the tree, so to speak, it's actually not that they're not a nice person, it's just that I'm just not Christ-like enough yet. I just am yet unable to love like Jesus loves. And that's my fault, it's not theirs. And the beautiful, beautiful thing about Jesus is he takes me on that journey. And he takes us together. Friends, we live on the other side of Easter. We know that the cross is not a failure. We know that the church is not a threat. We know how the story ends. But we are called to be ambassadors of his kingdom. Of his message his story of reconciliation and we are called to be ambassadors of that by loving and serving even those who accuse us and are against us as the church we don't really have enemies we have a world that does not know yet it's loved and our job is to do that that's why Forest Hill exists to be a community platform where people can experience the extravagant heart-transforming love of God and have the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. That's a community I want to be a part of. That's a journey I want to be a part of. Anything else that comes out of me is only going to do violence and I don't want a part of that. We live on the other side of Easter.
And that is an incredibly exciting, challenging place to be. But we're never under threat. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, I, I, I am so thank you and grateful that you rescue us from the violence in our own soul. Lord, I thank you for your church, glorious and eternal. I thank you that you are our head. I thank you that all authority is yours. Lord, the only time I'm really under threat is when I remove the towel and take up a baton. Lord, I thank you that you love the world. And Lord, I thank you that you know intimately just how hard the struggle is of life. Lord, how bruising it can be, how difficult it can be, how beautiful it can be. Lord, I thank you that you participated in the mud and the challenge and the difficulty on the streets of Jerusalem continue to participate by your spirit with us today Lord I thank you that we know that we are loved and I thank you that you have not finished the work you're doing in my soul but you are continuing to soften me and increase my capacity to love like you love Lord please don't stop and Father for us as your, your church your community in this place would you continue to transform us to be towel bearers in your name, seeking to serve and love the world that you love and the community around us. Lord, thank you that we live on the other side of Easter. Thank you for your promise that all things will be made whole. And thank you for your presence. Lord, we worship you and praise you and hail you as the King of your kingdom. Lord, your name be exalted and your kingdom come and your will be done on this earth and in this community as it is in heaven. Amen.